To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch buck? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new podcast for you. So this week we have a special episode. Um, I wanted to get this one out there. We dive into the subject of the reintroduction of wolves into Colorado. So yes, you heard that right. I'm not talking about Yellowstone. I'm talking Colorado. They're going to have it on the ballot to be voted on uh, whether or not we should reintroduce wolves to Colorado. Um, this is just crazy to me. So I got on a couple of the most knowledgeable guys I know for an in-depth conversation uh, on this reintroduction. So first off, I've got Guy Eastman from the Eastman office. Um, this guy is so plugged in to the to Western hunting and in the hunting model, and he does such a good job of bringing facts into the conversation. and And we get him fired up. Like, uh, uh, I don't think anything could get him as fired up as the reintroduction of wolves in Colorado. So this is just a great back and forth and great conversation. Uh, our other guest we have on the podcast today is Aaron Snyder from the Kafaru Cast. So Aaron Snyder's good friends with the Eastmans. I've worked on a couple projects with them, but this is the first time that I really get to sit down and have an in-depth conversation with him. And um, his stance on the subjects are, are so well thought out, and um, he does such a great job of uh, articulating and explaining them and putting them into context that, that everybody can relate to. Um, so he was a great guest. It's a great conversation between the three of us. Um, I really enjoyed it. Sponsor for today's show, uh, Onyx Maps. Uh, Onyx, they're just a, a great company with a great product. Um, all of you guys have probably heard of Onyx, but it, it has just changed the way that I scout and hunt. And it, I'm always learning on this app. So, you know, it, it does a standard where you can look at aerial imagery, you can look at aerial imagery with topography on it, and then you can also look at a topography map. It shows private, it shows public, it shows roads, it shows trails, trailheads. Um, it, it's just a... It, it's it's such a, a great resource for us hunters. It also does some really neat things like, um, you know, if you're out of cell phone reception, you can save your maps beforehand and, and you can save them in different detail levels. So you can save a, save a big one that'll do 300 square miles if you're really driving through, traveling through a unit, going to different points. And, and I always like to have a big map so I always know where private public is. And then you get a little bit more in depth and you save the areas that you're hiking into and it'll show more detail and topography. Um, it's just a great tool. It shows private, public. And like I say, I'm always learning new things. You can do burns. You can do, there's a, a different overlay where you can do roadless areas and it, it highlights it in purple. Um, yeah, let's, I, I mean, so many different things. Um, also one of the features that I've been using a lot lately is you can send waypoints so I can save a waypoint and I can send it through a text to my buddy and my buddy can meet me at that exact waypoint, whether that's a trailhead or it's a camp that's 10 miles back in. Maybe he's never even been there, but I can, I can send him a waypoint so he can see exactly where I'm at so we can meet at that spot. Um, but it, it's just a great tool for hunters. I use it all the time. I use it scouting, driving down the road. I use it at, at night on my phone. I love looking at it on my computer, new units. 
Um, it, it has just changed the way I hunt. So make sure to check them out on X Maps. Our other sponsor for today's show is Technew. Um, so Technew, um, they, they have a a product called Technu Original, and Technu Original is made for poison oak and poison ivy. So there's an oil on the the poison oak and poison ivy, and when you get that oil on you, um, you itch, you break out, and that oil it, it doesn't just come off with soap and water. It sticks to you and sticks to your clothing. And if you hop in your truck and you touch your steering wheel, it's on your steering wheel. Uh, this Technu original was developed to to take away that oil so you can actually get rid of it. It's got a bunch of other uses too. Technu original will actually work like on skunk smell. So if your dog gets into a skunk, maybe you've tried tomato juice. That does not work. <laughs> so um, Technu Original does work. It, it removes the oil from the skunk smell, removes the smell from your dog. Um, so it, it's got other uses as well. If you're trying to get sap off clothing, it'll remove that. But it's made for this poison oak and poison ivy. And if you've ever been into that stuff, you'd do anything to have some Technu around in your drawer. Because once you're into it, you're a couple days itching and rashing. And you can even break out weeks later by touching that steering wheel or that oil. So it's always good to, to have some in your cupboard and be ready if you ever get into that poison oak, poison ivy. And we're just coming into the season right now. May and June are, are miserable for poison oak, poison ivy. And I know I have a few spots around in Montana, like you can get it on your dog, your dog will be running through it, and then you go to pet your dog later that night, two days later, and then you'll get it on your skin there. So uh, it, it's just a great pop product, and it's a good one to have in your truck or in your medicine cabinet for if you do get into that stuff. So I want to thank Technu for sponsoring the podcast, also Onyx. Um yeah, I want to thank uh, Aaron Snyder for taking the time and being on. Guy Eastman, um, this is really cool to put this all together and then release it to you guys. It's just such um, great information, and this is this is a fight we have on our hands from here on out, and that we need to be concerned with. Like that that last, um, you know, where they were trying to sell off public lands in Utah. You know that that was a battle on the forefront. But this is uh, this is. Um, this is so much bigger, it seems like to me. I mean, that is big, uh, and I'm I don't want to rate or level each one, but God, the reintroduction of wolves in Colorado um, would just be devastating to to our our public land hunting as we know it. You know, in not only Colorado, but it it had spread to New Mexico, Arizona, Utah. Um, it, it's just crazy that that they could get this on the ballot. Um, and sneak it on the ballot behind Colorado, you know, fish, wildlife, and parks, and, and get it on the ballot for voters that that aren't so knowledgeable. And so we need to do a good job of informing ourselves and standing up for ourselves and, and making our voice heard for this uh, initiative. And and uh, so it's just it's a super important podcast. And it's a great one, too. You get to hear three guys that just get fired up about wolves and and, uh, go back and forth. And um, the guys make some really good points and bring in some some really good facts to the conversation. So without further ado, let's just get this thing rolling. So Aaron Snyder, he's from the Kafaru cast. He's on. We've got Guy Eastman and then me, your host, Brian Barney. Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Okay, I've got Guy Eastman here, and I've got Aaron Snyder from the Kafaru cast. Um, thanks for being on, guys. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, uh, gosh, we wanted to get you on, Aaron, and just talk about this debacle that's going in, going on in Colorado right now. 
Like I just heard that they got it approved to be on the ballot so they can vote to reintroduce wolves into Colorado. Yeah, and you know, it kind of caught me by surprise. Uh, like everything, it seems is driven by social media. I started getting screenshots um, of this uh, through my Instagram messenger, and I'm like, well, I didn't even hear about it other than, you know, through messenger. You know, I'm reading through it, and I'm like, you know, I'm not um, always up on politics or, or how that even, the system even works. And I'm like, wow, this seems like it was kind of snuck in in the back door uh, a little bit and kind of taken out of the hands of people that, you know, actually are out in, in the woods and left it up to vote for people that, that probably shouldn't be voting on something like that. Man, that's the ridiculous part about this is that, you know, your Colorado uh, Fish and Wildlife or whatever they call it down there, it rejected the idea of introducing wolves because it knew how unpopular and how devastating it is for the ecosystem. You know, they've seen and learned from the mistakes of Montana, Idaho, Wyoming. But what they did is is Colorado turned it down. And uh, some congressman or, or senator, I'm not sure which one, introduced it as a ballot. So the ballot will go out to a vote to the public of Colorado, and then they'll vote to to put it um, as a uh, something they'll vote on in 2020. And if they win and get their way, they're forcing Colorado to come up with a management plan to reintroduce wolves, which is just ridiculous. Yeah, it is. And I mean – I, I have to say, uh, as of late, you, you know, and some of these guys are my friends, but some of the statements I've heard from other, um, I don't know how to put it, whatever, more known uh, hunters in the outdoor industry, that wolves, uh, I had one guy recently who's a friend state that uh, they live off mice and he felt it was a friend <laughs> And I'm like, man, I'm going to yank your long hair out. What are you talking about, man? Like, I don't think that someone can go on one trip and base their decision making off of one trip or one interaction. Um, me being able to hunt in northern Minnesota, for example, all the way, um, you know, in British Columbia, North Idaho, you really see the damage um, of what wolves can do. And, and I don't know how you guys feel, but. You know, if I have a trout pond, I'm not going to release muskies into it because pretty soon it becomes a musky pond. There's no more trout. And so what really what advantage did I have by dropping muskies in my trout pond? Yeah, they were cool for a minute and then they ate everything. And now I have nothing but muskies. Wolves are kind of the same way. And I mean, it's not really something I like to argue about. I, I more or less just produce facts when I talk with people. Um, as far as the wolves go, because when I start hearing people talk about they live off of, um, you know, mice, I'm like, are you uh, incapable of using Google? Uh, is that all fake where they're, you know, taking down moose and things like that? It's, it's, it's kind of a joke, really, but it doesn't seem that common sense seems to prevail very often. A lot of people seem impervious to it. Man, it's so true. Um, yeah, that's well put with the musky pond. It makes sense. Well, yeah, and, and different herds, um, you know, some of the elk herds made it, but there's a lot of elk that were just devastated by the reintroduction of wolves. The the, the northern greater Yellowstone herd went from 20,000 to below 1,500. They don't even give any tags for that unit anymore, you know, for where they migrate out of the park and gardener. They used to give a bunch of late cow tags and late bull tags and 
like around Elk City. Um, it's timber, rough, remote, rugged country. Those elk has devastated their their or those uh, wolves have devastated their elk populations where they used to have 15,000 elk, where now you talk to those locals, they can't even find an elk in those woods. And, and you know, my valley here, my home valley in the Madison, like it it fared a little bit better because those wolves just couldn't help themselves. They got down into the cattle, and then we have such power with our, our cattlemen's association that then they'd have government trappers and come in and shoot them even when they were federally protected. So we were able to kind of control our population a little bit better than some other valleys. Plus, we don't get – like we get uh, wind-blown slopes so those elk can get away a little bit better. They don't get caught in the deep snow, but – uh, you know, our population still, I mean, take it in half or it's it was a third of what it was. Um, and, and it's bouncing back a little bit now that we can control the wolf populations. But, man, it, it's devastating. And now, you know, you can't even find a moose around here in Montana. They just don't exist anymore. The wolves have killed all of them in that deep snow. The wolves can just run on top where those moose sink down. They're just easy pickings for those things. And like you say, I love that wolves eat mice. Yeah, right. When they reintroduced them, I remember hiking up this ridgeline, and I found where these wolves had got into these elk. And these elk, you know, they've never encountered wolves before. They're brand new to them. They don't even know how to get away from them or, or how to, you know, they're only used to defending themselves against coyotes or bears. And so those, those wolves just wiped them out. I remember seeing like 12 or 14 dead elk, and, and the wolves didn't even eat on them. They were just killing them and ripping the throats out of them and just killing them for fun. But they just wiped out that whole herd. Well, that's totally not true because wolves only kill what they eat, if you ask anyone, um, especially in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, they will tell you that for a fact, even though they've never been in the woods. I don't uh, really understand a lot of that. I mean, it's proven that um, they you know, they will kill and not eat what they went after. Um, I mean, and when I say proven, like obviously video footage, it's hard to get around that. Um and, you know, I was in uh, British Columbia recently on a on a predator hunt, and you know, up there they have black bears, grizzly, mountain lions, wolves, bobcats, lynx. You know, they've got a lot of predator issues. They they you know, obviously killed the grizzly hunting, and you know, we were on um, you know multiple different cats, and the biggest issue there was one. There were so many wolves. Uh, you had to worry about your dogs getting off course and getting on the wolves. And there was, you know, multiple different packs of wolves. I ended up shooting one um, while I was up there. But you know, the one thing I didn't see was ungulates. I didn't I didn't see um, the happy little four-legged critters running around. Well, you know, when you have that many predators, um, I mean, what good are you really doing overall if it decreases the ungulate population so much that then you have to restrict hunters, which restricts Obviously, I mean, hunting, I don't want to get on the conservation, uh, hashtag conservation life bandwagon too much, but all the <laughs> money that comes from hunters goes into conservation, which is more than anyone else. So in the end, it really hurts because when there's less ungulates, there's there's less money, which means there's less money for conservation, habitat restoration, things like that. It's a it's a bad downward cycle. And, and if they I mean. <laughs> There's already too many mountain lions in Colorado. Wolves are not going to be good. And I mean, they banned spring bear hunting as well as baiting. Uh, you can't run them with dogs. So there's a black bear problem. Um, I see nothing good coming out of it. 
Man, they just um, – yeah, they're going to upset the ecosystem. And I know, Guy, you've seen that same thing in Wyoming, and you probably know it as good as anybody out there. Like um, how big of a mistake you think they're making in Colorado? Uh, epic proportions. Where do I even start? Like Aaron said, the, there's you can go look the data up. The, the lies are just incredible. You know, the, the, there's more grass in Yellowstone. Oh, bullshit. You mean to tell me with those thousands and thousands of buffalo in the Lamar Valley, them getting rid of the elk made a bit of a difference? Hell no. Those buffalo are tearing up that river left and right, and they always will be until they figure that out. You know, our moose population in Wyoming is down 88%, nearly 90%. Nine out of ten moose that lived in Wyoming when they introduced those wolves are dead, gone. History. You know, that elk population is down 80%, and that's with 500 wolves. Colorado wants 1,000, 1,000 wolves. <laughs> and, oh, the minute they put those wolves in there, you might as well just quit applying for Colorado because the points are the point creep's going to go through the roof once they get into that elk herd. It's over. Well, I mean, you brought up a good point with moose. The moose population is skyrocketing in a good way in Colorado there's a I mean they just shot what the world record or right at the world record two years ago I mean we have on film multiple bulls that are right at that world record caliber they will not be there anymore and so that you know that that moose population that's skyrocketing it's going to deplete immediately um and there you know there's not I mean here's the thing like in, in truth is it cool to see a wolf in the wild you know, yeah, it's it's not a bad thing. It's cool to see them howl. The problem is, is managing them by the time they have just decimated the population and you finally talk some sense into people, um, it's too late. And then you have year-round seasons. There's guys trapping, but the ungulates are gone, and it takes so long to build up that population back. Um, and then there's, you know, when you talk about different breeding, you know, how many breeding pairs that they want. If they start off with a thousand, right, that's their goal. We're beyond hope. You know, if you talked about 10 breeding pairs, that might be something that you might be able to manage. It, and it, I'm not a trapper, um, but again, like once, I mean, the, the, I mean, we call it the Republic of Boulder, but I mean, Colorado's ran by Boulder and Denver. Um, if we get wolves here and they become a problem and you finally show science or proof, that the wolf population, or excuse me, the elk, the, the moose population is just depleted. By the time we're able as a hunter to get a handle on it, it's too late. And that's what seems to have happened like in Idaho and in, in your neck of the woods is, yeah, you can hunt them now, but there's so many you can't get a, you can't get control of it. It's too far gone. Yeah, you're so right. It's too late. And it's not only making a decision for Colorado, you're making a decision for New Mexico, which is right down off the board. They're going to migrate right down into there in Utah and in in Arizona. Pretty soon they're just going to infiltrate. I mean, originally to reintroduce them was supposed to be in Yellowstone National Park. And what they do is they just keep moving the goal line on you. Yeah, they they say, you know, we want this as our objective. And then they hit that objective and they, they go for the next one. They move the goal line on you. And now we want a population in Montana and, and Idaho and Wyoming. And, and so, yeah, they, they get it approved or get it reintroduced. But just putting them in Colorado, they're going to spread to all of those southern states. All the states. It, it's the 
It's the then what scenario, Brian. Once they eat all the ungulates, then what? They're not just going to starve. See, that's a problem. They all say, we want to balance the ecosystem. Uh, these charts I'm looking at, it's not balanced. It's catastrophic. In the old, old days, yeah, maybe the wolves, they don't have a lot of data on this is the other thing. They don't know what they don't know, okay, from the 1800s to 1700s when Lewis and Clark came. Lewis and Clark took just a snapshot through this country. And, yeah, there was a, a fair amount of ungulates, but I got news for you. They almost starved to death going up over the continental divide because there was nothing to eat. There was no elk and deer up there. Everything was down in the plains. So we don't know what we don't know. When they eat all the ungulates, then what? They're going to hit, and we're seeing it now, they spread out and they're going to hit the, the agriculture, the sheep and the cows, domestic sheep, cows, goats, people's pets, whatever, and they will never decline. Because man is here, the, the, the wolf population and the predator population, for that matter, will never decline to a point where they die off, starve to death, and the ungulates come back because there's too much farming and ranching here now. So we will just be stuck with no ungulates, which is what a lot of areas are dealing with right now. In Colorado, you don't have ecosystems big enough to handle these predators down there. You've hunted down there, Brian, and you do a lot, Aaron. You can walk right over a mountain range and right into another town. The gold mining days put towns all over that front of the Rocky Mountain front down there. It's not like our area would go 100 miles and there's no road. Yeah, and you bring up a good point. There isn't um, very many wildernesses I can't hike across in a day in Colorado. There's a few, but I can do it in two days. Well, for a wolf, obviously, that's no time at all. Um, the wilderness, they're just not that big here. Um, you know, and the, the one thing I look at, kind of bouncing this off all the different areas I hunt, um, like we hunt in, in Prince George area for black bear. And, you know, the, we hunt the same area we have for the last four years, I guess. And he takes about the same amount of bears every year. The hunting's just as good every year. You shoot big boars every year. You know, that common sense says that's a sustainable population of black bears. Um, okay, well, in Colorado, there is no spring black bear season, and very few people hunt them in the, uh, the fall because everybody's worried about elk and mule deer. Well, black bears aren't, in my opinion— a fraction of the problem that a wolf is. And, and obviously we also have mountain lions. So you have the black bears and there's a lot of those and they are, um, it, you know, hell and Jesus on calf elk. Well, now you bring in the wolves into the mix, um, which, you know, will have no season whatsoever, obviously for quite some time. The, the biggest issue, um, I mean, I don't, when you, when you go to these different areas that I've hunted that, are have not been managed accordingly um, as far as predators go the one thing that you quickly find out is the predator hunting is amazing and the ungulate population is horrible so it, and i'm kind of beating a dead horse to death in colorado there's already issues with predators to a certain degree the moment that those the wolves are released um you're going to have the same issue that you find in different places in british columbia where you have, well, predators eating predators. When I was up there on my recent mountain lion, you know, whatever, slash wolf hunt, we had a mountain lion eat a bobcat while we were trailing the bobcat. We had a lynx eat another lynx 
while we were trailing a Lynx. So it, 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 I've never, I could have never imagined that in my life that they would be eating each other. And this isn't like, oh, I wonder what happened. We're following the bobcat tracks, mountain lion tracks, get on the bobcat track, and there's a giant ball of fur 400 meters ahead of that. Okay, well, what's going to happen in Colorado when we can't do half of the things that they can do in B.C. as far as the spring bear hunting, things like that? So I think in Colorado it will be far more devastating and much quicker than it was even in Idaho and Montana and Wyoming. Um, it will be an even bigger problem. Man, I think you're spot on. It's going to happen fast, and they're going to put those wolves in there. It's going to be like mercury. They're going to just go poof, gone, and they're going to start surfacing everywhere all at once. Yep, and then there's there's no... Because the Rocky Mountain National Park had a few too many elk, and I think that's what started the ball rolling on all this from what I understand. Well, and even now, I don't... And I know the game wardens don't have anything to do with this. Most of the ones I talk to are, are on our side when I say they don't have anything to do with it. Their hands are tied. Um, you know, you think about it like at Rocky Mountain National Park. I don't understand the the concept of it's okay. Let's re- re- release wolves that have no – they have a brain. They have no thought process on when to stop rather than – close the park down for five days, make a bunch of money from hunters. They get the meat, they get to feed their family, clean out the population monetarily. Obviously that goes to conservation, all good. Instead, we're going to release wolves that have no off button. That makes no sense to me whatsoever when hunters could actually take care of any issue that pops up and you would make money from it. They would go into habitat restoration or, or you know anything to do with um, well, I mean, if there's that many elk in Estes Park, which there is, how, how much money would you lose closing down the park um, for a couple days in comparison to how much are you going to lose when there's nothing left to look at other than wolves running around? There's no more elk to look at. Who's going to want to go in there? The whole reason to go to Estes Park, yeah, the scenery's great. It's to look at all the elk. There won't be any elk to look at. There'll be grass. <laughs> bird chirping. I couldn't believe that shit when I read that. There's more birds chirping and there's greener grass. It's more picturesque. And I was like, shit. It's a flat out lie. You Have you ever hunted in the Frank Church? A long time ago. Yes. Yeah. I read an article in there one time. This is back in the heat of this about 10 years ago. That the wolves hit everything so hard in there because the, the, it, it burned a long, long time ago in the 80s, and so the elk population exploded in there just like it did in Yellowstone, and then the wolves came in and cleared, cleaned it all out. And they were uh, completely dumbfounded at how little wildlife, period, there was in there. It basically tr- turned it almost into a completely sterile environment because there was no elk and deer, there was the predators left, there was no crows, no ravens, I mean, it just it just went down the food chain and nothing, almost nothing existed there for years and years and years. And they're still trying to kill all the wolves out of there. Out of the head, that thing. It's so rugged and rough. 
Yeah, it's the same way in a lot of these areas, you know, that northwest Montana, uh, you know, it, it's tough to find an elk up in that country now. It's just full of, of wolves. But like you say, it's almost a sterile environment. Once those wolves have their way with it, the ungulates are gone, and then the wolves have nothing to eat. They move on and travel mountain ranges. They're just going to move from one range to the next until they've got everything killed and eaten. Yeah, and, and Rocky Mountain Park is teeny. It's the size of a postage stamp. It's 260,000 acres. Ted Turner own, owns over 2 million himself. I mean, it's it's small. It's a, a tenth the size of Yellowstone. Those wolves will be in there for about two weeks. <laughs> I mean, I don't think you're, I mean, too far from the truth. Um, yeah, so, not to go down too many rabbit holes, when I... But my my first experience with with wolves in the sense of how devastating they can be was northern Minnesota. I was up there in 2002 or three um, hunting decent population um, as far as deer goes. I mean, we were having fun hunts late season in the winter. Um, you know, they would come into these popple slashings where loggers were at and really no issue. I mean, good, good, good deer density. The next year I came, more wolves, less deer. Now I don't even go up there because the wolves have just wreaked havoc. And then you, you know, you hear, you dig deep into it and they're, oh, it's the hunters, it's the hunters, it's the hunters. Well, okay, how did it go so well for so many years? And technically they say the hunting numbers are decreasing and it went so good for so many years. And all of a sudden now it, 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 just magically the hunters, I mean, the harvest statistics are about the same every year. Well, it's, to me, it's got to be the wolves. The wolf numbers are increasing, which is statistically correct. I, I mean, that's a good example. The deer population up there is just toast now. And and coming from, you know, where I, in Oregon originally, you didn't, you know, mountain lions were the big problem, which are a huge problem even still. Um, and again, say it one more time we have all of these things except wolves in colorado so the whole week or two thing i don't think you're too far from the truth and and what's the local you know hippie liberal going to say when you know six wolves fly out and hamstring or yank a calf out of a cow or hamstring an elk uh, they'll probably be like oh man maybe we shouldn't have done this but it'll be too late man that is the problem and and uh, like we talked about you know, the, the wolves have such a great PR team. I go on the internet and I look up wolves. Like, like us hunters and sportsmen are the only one that know the truth of what's going on. They spin these stories every way from Sunday to try to make it seem like these wolves are good. They, like they're trying to reintroduce them and bring them in in their natural habitat. And they want them from Canada all the way down to Mexico. In fact, I think it was a Montana senator that proposed the bill to get it on the ballot. But the people that are making this choice for are going to be those people from Denver and from Boulder. They get that that spin from that wolf PR team, and that's what makes up their mind. And they say, yeah, wolves are good. They're not getting the truth. So, I mean, I think that's the challenge we have out in front of us. And, and just like BC, uh, the banning of the grizzly bears, you know, all those people, you know, in the cities and in the towns made the decision for everybody else that's actually out in the woods and has to deal with them, you know. So that's definitely the challenge we're up against is, is to try to get public perception and try to bring common sense to the scenario. And 
And it, it's like um, history repeats itself. Just look what they've done in, in Yellowstone Park and, and what they, you know, how Idaho and, and Wyoming and Montana or elk herds have been decimated. We don't have any more moose. Like those are the facts, but that's what we have to get out there. Yeah, and it's 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 diff- well, it's not difficult, but I mean, luckily we do have. Uh, well, I say this: we had a great chance the other day with a known hunter on the Joe Rogan podcast that had a great chance to speak intelligently about wolves, and he started talking about them eating mice and becoming friends with them, which did not help at all, in my opinion. But um, you know. Obviously, I mean, Eastman's is large. The meat eater is large. Uh, Rogan is a great spokesman. There's multiple other, but we don't hold a candle to, I think Miley Cyrus was actually the number one contributor as far as funds for the banning of uh, grizzly hunting in BC. And they a hundred percent admitted there's a sustainable, sustainable population. They just don't like the way it looks to, to hunt grizzlies. And knowing that, we could be in deep shit in Colorado because Boulder and Denver run Colorado. Um, and it's going to be hard to overpower that as far as on a you know campaign level. Man, that's what worries me, too. And if they can't get it on through the regular way, they just put it on the ballot like they're going to do this. I was told today by a, a guy inside politician down in Colorado, they're, they're probably going to lose lion hunting by 2021. And they think by 2025 they'll have wolves and lose all their trapping and cat hunting altogether, and bear hunting. And that that would, you know, it's it's all just this slippery slope of predator hunting. And you know, it's all come from California. California is the gold standard for a lot of things in this country, including wildlife management or anti-management politics. And I, it's taken a decade to come to Colorado, but it's here. And the the sportsmen and the wildlife in that state are in big trouble big trouble man and when you look at california and all the problems they have you know after they banned uh, mountain lion hunting and and banned them with dogs they end up spending more money with government trappers trying to control that mountain lion population that gets in all those suburbs and eats everybody's puppies and kittens and things you know like like they've got a major problem with cats where they you know they don't have any deer left on that that side of california so yeah i mean it's it's not working, so I don't. I just don't understand why we keep pushing this to other states, and, and especially since Colorado, their Division of Wildlife and Management, they don't want wolves. They realize, you know, what a disaster it's going to be. And like you say, those those sneaky politicians just sneak it in to where it's going to be voted, you know, where it's going to be on the ballot and voted by people that that don't hunt or have anything to do with wildlife. Yeah, man, I had Bart. Lancaster on my podcast recently and even though what everything he said made perfect sense like you know if you're not out in the woods you don't get to vote it's a prerequisite you you have to be in the woods to get to vote you to to know right like I, I mean I don't think it would be fair for me to vote on oh I don't know giving birth because I've never done it I don't know <laughs> shit about it so why would somebody get to vote on things of this nature that has not spent one day a year uh, you know, in the field, in the wilderness, or, or anything like that. And but as sad as it is, I mean, that's the the route that everything seems to be going. Um, yeah, I, man, I tell you what, I, I'll just move. Um, I hate to say it, but if it gets too squirrely, but hell, I mean, like Guy just said, it stems from California. You're running out of places to move. I mean, y- you know, as far as like to to stay in a a non-liberal state, 
with um, some common sense behind the voting, you're kind of running out of places to go. Yeah, you sure are. That's the truth. Alluded. I got news for you, Brian. That's you guys are about a decade off in in Montana. I mean, oh. it's getting diluted up there. You know, you see, I I get a lot of Montana news and politics because I live on the border, so I get the TV stations. But you you know what I mean. I mean, it. You guys aren't that far behind Colorado. No, we're not. <laughs> no, that's the Bozeman, truth. When I pulled into Bozeman for the first time, I thought I was in Boulder. I'd never seen so many skinny jeans and Chaco sandals and shit like that. <laughs> I'm like, man, I'm in Boulder. It's same yeah. kind of same kind of thing. And I mean, luckily for me. I'm able to convert a lot of uh, maybe mid-road or anti-hunters over from photography and, you know, the fitness thing. With, you know, when I say fitness, you know, different hikes or teaching land navigation courses and kind of that subtle, oh, this is actually kind of how it works so it's not in your face. But, you know, then you have some jack wagon that's a dipshit that's like, kill them all. And it's like, well, we may be thinking that, but Jesus Christ on his throne, don't say it like that, man. Present it a little bit better because then we just look like dumb rednecks. So hopefully, you know, I mean, little by little will make a, a difference. But at this point, it's going to be a tough road to hoe if they let those things in here. And, and then you got to wonder, I mean, I know, if, well, I hate to say this, but I don't mind saying it. There's going to be guys out there, um, you know, trying to just to go shoot them to save the elk. And then that's going to end up in another debacle right there just from guys even though they may be doing the right thing, it's going to be perceived as the wrong thing, um, you know, to, to the general public, even though they're looking out for the ungulates, which is another, you know, totally different problem, but yeah, it's not going to be good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh... Are, are just astronomical. I kind of pay attention to a lot of that stuff of the Wyoming game fish here. And it's cost the, the Wyoming game fish and the sportsmen of Wyoming, over $21 million for wolf management and grizzly bears in, you know, in the last decade. So it's, it's very expensive and it never ends. It never, ever ends. And they end up paying, they've got a rancher over here out of Cody. They've paid over $200,000 to one single ranch in the last five years for, for uh, grizzly bears killing cows. That's a lot of hunting licenses. That's a lot of fishing licenses. Yeah. I mean, it just, you know, these game and fish agencies, it just absolutely sinks them financially. Then they, they don't have the money to do the things they need to be doing. Transplant, you know, planting fish in the rivers and getting stranded or raccoons out of old ladies trees and stuff that they, you know, black footed ferrets and stuff that does, does make a difference. And it gets guys, you know, that on the ground doing what they need to do. The field staff, they're wrangling bears. I talked to the bear guy the other day. I'm getting, sorry, I'm getting off track on bears. So I'm at dinner the other night, dusty, and he's got five traps out there right now for grizzly bears. They wanted to hunt 23 of them. Last year, they ended up killing 40. The game fish killed 40 of them because they were problem bears, and they only wanted to hunt 23. So, California scenario, here we are. Yeah, and you guys had ready-to-roll uh, tags allocated everything else, and then they, they shit-handed right at the end. What la Was that last year, I guess? Mm-hmm. Last September. They had the names drawn and everything. Man, oh, man. It was a judge that overturned it, like one single judge, right? A judge in Montana. Oh, yeah. 
(sighs) Interestingly enough, the judge in Missoula who took the place of the judge who shut down our wolf hunt like 10 years ago because he retired. So, Man, oh, man. Yeah, tough road ahead, right? And and like you say, there's a tipping point too when you're spending all this money to to manage and reimburse ranchers for their their loss for grizzly bears and wolves. There's a tipping point, and eventually, like you say, guys aren't going to want to hunt Colorado because there's nothing left. There's no elk. There's no deer. Your tag numbers go down. All all of a sudden, you you know you can't support this reimbursement you're trying to do. There's nothing left. Like the whole system collapses upon itself. Yeah, at that point, I'll be thinking, God, I like photography as well, because all I'll be doing is taking freaking pictures. Um, and people don't, you know, think about that as far as like that collapse. Um, I mean, knowing what I know about, for example, fish hatcheries. Okay, there's some people um, that that believe that fishing is okay and hunting is not. Well, those fish people that go, you know, fishing in every state, the um, I guess you could say the natural fish population does not reproduce fast enough in a lot of areas without the help of a fish hatchery and planting fish. There's just too many people fishing um, for the amount of fish and how fast they can reproduce. Not in every area, but in some. Those fish hatcheries are super expensive to to run. Well, all that money is the same money from hunting and fishing, whether they want to look at it that way or not. Meaning, uh, in Colorado anyway, it's the basically the parks and wildlife. So it's all in one. Um, same with the state parks, things like that. Well, all that money that the majority of that money that's, that's generated is from hunters and fishermen alike. But when the hunting or the predator problem, and like you say, for nuisance bears, we already have a, a nuisance bear issue and we're paying trappers a significant amount of money. And I got some of the numbers from podcasts we had done earlier this year with Harold Farnbrook on um, how many bears that were taken by trappers. But what you can't find out is federal trappers. You can only find out states. So who knows how many trappers, the federal trappers, how many bears they got and how much we paid them, um, you know, and what money goes where, I'm not sure. But again, you start talking about, okay, now bear hunting has gone completely. So you're paying trappers even more. Mountain lion hunting has gone completely, same thing. And then you add wolves into the equation well, that's going to start affecting like the fish hatcheries and things. And again, by the time anybody really pays attention and knows, I mean, everybody seems impervious to common sense. It's going to be too late and it'll be years to build that ungulate population back up as well as really rebuild the system financially. Man. Yeah, you're 100% right, Aaron. I never, I, I've never really thought about that angle, but that's a really smart analysis there because what happens, all the states is a general pool and a lot of these guys, these fishermen, a lot of them are not necessarily into hunting and definitely not into predator hunting, but they don't realize that that resource that they're using is paid out of the same pool. And we all know that elk is the cash cow. That's the that's the big ticket item in the West for revenue. And when those elk populations drop, there isn't enough money necessarily to be putting steelhead in the streams anymore from the hatchery or doing you know river conservation work on the yellowstone river or the you know up by you brian on the madison or you know all that's coming out of the same fund and you take away a lot of that money and everything suffers 
Yeah, you guys make a great point. Aaron, that is so smart. I didn't even think about it that way, but you're so right. We're fish, wildlife, and parks here in Montana, that same pool that guy's talking about. But yeah, all of a sudden, those parks, you know, they're not going to have the money to patrol. The parks are going to go to hell, you know. The the fishing's going to go to hell. The whole thing's going to collapse upon itself, you know, just for this reintroduction of wolves. Um, God, that's I, I never thought about it that way, but you're so right. Well, one sing- think about this, Brian. One single elk deer combo, non-resident combo license in Montana. One, my just me, just my single big game combo license in in Montana is worth over what is over. It's got to be wor- worth over ten, maybe twenty fishing licenses. Well, so twenty or much. thirty guys have to come fishing in Montana to equal my one license for elk and deer. It's actually much higher. Your combo license, a thousand bucks for out of state, isn't it, or twelve hundred? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, eleven hundred, something roughly. Yeah, so eleven hundred. Yeah, so I mean, it's the same same thing here. And um, the thing that I'm trying to do, well, like my last analogy, um, even though I'm kind of a knuckle dragger, I'm kind of constantly studying this so I don't sound like a total imbecile when I get into these conversations to bring light to, you know, maybe people that are, um, well, if you have like an edge or an, an in in the conversation that will help them understand meaning, okay, the fishing. I guess fish don't have souls. Nobody seems to give a shit about a fish, right? So, okay, they're a, a fisherman, but they don't believe in predator hunting. That was something that I looked into fairly hard about six months ago where I'm like, okay, all of this money's pooled, like I just talked about, that helps them kind of see the light. The other thing that, um, you know, when you look at it on the, the financial side of things in general, if they, as Guy mentioned, I mean, the cash cow is, is elk. I don't know. We could probably Google it. Um, I would say, and I don't know what you guys think, two years of, of wolves, a thousand wolves in Colorado, because I'm sure they're going to start, dro- they're not going to just drop them in the middle of the state and let them run 360. They're going to drop them in each wilderness area, basically where all the elk are is where they're going to drop them. Within two years, there's going to be a vast, um, you know, drop in the population, which is a vast drop in the tags. Once those tags are dropped, you're looking at millions because not only that, it's the perceived outlook or the you know, it doesn't need to be truthful. And what's what's perceived by hunters is a guy going to come from Iowa in 2021 to hunt Colorado if he thinks his area is depleted by wolves. Probably not. So even if the population was still decent, there's still going to be a, mo- a monetary drop because of what's perceived because wolves are here. It may take only a matter of time before it is a 100 percent problem without a doubt. But there's still going to be a drop just because wolves are there, and there's no way around that. And fishing is not going to cover it. And you think of all these just these chuckle puppets hiking up and down 14ers, bitching about hunters. The trails that are cleared, right? All of these great things that they have is paid for by a hunter because you get to hike for free in Colorado. They don't pay for any of that shit, even though it's parks and wildlife. They don't. What I feel is if somebody wants to go climb 14ers, you need to pay 600 bucks or you need to pay whatever it is like uh, somebody buying an out-of-state elk tag. There needs to be something that they pay to even this out before they even have a voice in it because as of right now, they're just burning freaking you know holes on the trail for free that we have to pay for and then they bitch about us. 
Um, that's kind of a squirrel hole, hole there, but it's something to me that I do not understand how they get off scot-free. They get to go camping, hiking, fishing. I mean, the only thing that goes into, uh, you know, the, the parks and wildlife is if they have to buy a pass or they go fish, which is microscopic compared to mule deer and elk tags. Um, I, I guess I should stop rambling here, but it makes zero sense to me. And they get to vote just like we do, and they pay nothing to do it. It's oh, um, so true, and they have such a big voice. <laughs> you know, that's amazing. Yeah, you're right. They get to enjoy it for free. Climb all of those 14ers, disappear back in the wilderness. They get to go have their adventure back there and, and don't pay a dime to conservation. That is wild. Well, a lot of them, even beyond that, I mean, in Colorado, it's so heavily recreated that a lot of the people making these decisions and voting on these decisions have done nothing but destroy habitat. They have put not one dime, not one bit of effort into it. You've seen it, Aaron, at those trailheads and stuff. They're a disaster. That that, that country's getting piss-pounded to the ground all summer long. Well, yeah, and I mean, what, <laughs> I'm, oh, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'll bring up a place that um, is totally screwed anyway for hunting, which is the Maroon Bells. Um, actually, thanks to you guys and somebody used to work for you. Thanks a lot, guys. And that area, literally in certain parts, like the four-pass loop of the Maroon Bells, hundreds of cars will be there on that at one time. And there's other spots that you can. I mean, it is so heavily. Um, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's it's regulated so heavy now as far as who can back. It's going to turn into the Grand Canyon, basically, where you have to sign up to go hike in specific spots, but they don't have to pay anything. And it literally, like you said, piss pounded. There's areas that, and it's amazing, we'll be back scouting sheep off the trail on top of a mountain, and we'll see 15, 20 guys ridge running, climbing all these 13, 14,000, well, 13,000 foot peaks or sometimes 14ers. All for free. And they'll be the first ones to complain that we're back there hunting, except we paid for them to have all that stuff maintained as well as I go on and on. But, yeah, it's a it's a problem. And that's I'm, one thing the grizzly bears have done. We don't have much of that kind of recreation up here. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that is the one thing they've done. <laughs> Uh, they strike fear into, into the heart of those hikers. They don't want to go disappear into the Bob Marshall wilderness. You know, they, uh, like you say, they, uh, they want to be safe and sound in Colorado running those ridgelines, but it displaces, it displaces so much wildlife too. Like he's, with having that many guys run those ridgelines, just running those goats and those sheep and those, the deer off the tops and the, the elk, uh, they, they put so much pressure on the landscape and like you say, don't contribute at all. Well, he, you know, you're going to get me going. I'm going to get a migraine. Last year on our mule deer hunt, we already had eight other hunters nine miles in total. Not above that. I mean, Frank, the poor guy, there was probably 40 hikers that crossed over the pass, went three miles in, camped right by Frank, got up in the cliffs and started rolling boulders off into the mule deer beds. Now, they didn't know. They're screaming and yelling, deer running everywhere. They have no idea what they're doing. Now, how much, um, you know, long-term damage does that cause? Eh, probably not much long-term, but you're certainly disrupting, um, you know, the habitat. I mean, you're disrupting the ecosystem to a certain degree as you're rolling boulders, jumping them over 180-inch mule deer's heads, 
they're getting out of Dodge. Now, obviously, this is a little bias coming from a hunter, but I'm looking at it thinking, okay, I sneak in, I shoot one deer, I take one deer out. Obviously, my goal is for no deer to see me or I'm a shitty hunter. They are blowing every animal out of the basin, elk included, sheep included, have no no care in the world, and they will be the first people to call you an asshole for being a hunter, which actually happened. And, and, and again, how do you talk sense into someone like that? And, and, and they do have a strong pull. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I mean, and hunters definitely need to do a better job at sticking together anyway. There's so much bullshit that goes in on that thing, on that side of things. But yeah, I don't know. Um, I just hope it doesn't pass. I, I mean, at a certain point, um, I mean, you're, like I said, you're going to run out of states to move to, to be a hunter, um, without serious issues and Wyoming, I mean, that's one of the last states, but I mean, you, I, after that whole grizzly thing was overturned, I, I was like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, they're going to get them all, aren't they? I mean, um, that's, that's why uh, it's so important what you're talking about, Aaron, and I think moving forward, you know, as hunters, we do need to stick together and support each other, and we do, like you stated earlier, we need to... Um, we need to watch our message and make sure we're not coming across it as as dumb rednecks. You know that 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 we need that it's a sustainable resource and that um, you, you know taking care uh, of our environment and these ecosystems is important. But we just have to continue to put the word out. I think is all we can do at this point moving forward. Try to stick together and, and try to get the word out and try to educate you know other other people. And I like how you say through photography or through you know a backpack or whatever the case is anytime you get a chance just to and not to convert somebody as a hunter but just to let them let them in on your world let them know that you know i've got a, a wife and two girls and all we eat is wild game and and, and how you know it, it's the most organic thing going and we do have you know a lot more people you know with this organic movement it, it's been good for hunting too um, but yeah, we just need to continue to get the right message out there or they're going to take over all these states and there's going to be nothing left. We're going to have to move to a, another country or someplace else. If we even want to hunt, uh, they're going to, they're going to take it all away from us. Yeah. Well, we're not gonna be able to move to Canada cause they're more fucked up than we are right now. Um, if, I mean, I mean, if there's a race, I think they're winning it anyway. I, I just talked with several guys, um, it, it, as far as in the, the British Columbia province and, you know, they were looking at trying to ban all predator hunting. And, you know, the one guy that I was speaking with said, man, I highly doubt that's going to happen because there's been six um, predator issues eating children in the last month. And so, I mean, as far as like mountain lions grabbing kids off of porches and, and grizzlies and bears, things like that. And I mean, what a shame that would be um, for the only way for that to get stopped is by kids being eaten by predators. How fuck or how messed up is that? I mean, and it may come down to that, uh, especially specifically in the the British Columbia province. Is will grizzly bear hunting be resurrected because kids are eaten by grizzlies? That's a plausible. Um, I mean, that's very plausible. That is that could happen. And I mean, and as humans, you would think we have enough common sense. When they voted, they said there was too many grizzlies, but they still voted to get a banning of banning grizzly hunting. Now, if they reintroduce it because, you know, humans are being eaten by grizzlies, 
I mean, somebody should probably go to jail that initiated that to begin with because, I mean, it's their fault, in my opinion, or, or some of it is. Man, isn't that the yeah, truth? And I really, you know, here's, here's one to think about. This is some rumblings I've heard about locally here in Wyoming is the next thing that could happen is restricted access. And you're seeing that in British Columbia right now, or the beginnings of it with that whole caribou problem of theirs. And I've heard rumblings, now this is nothing official or anything, but usually that's how these things start, especially in a small state in Wyoming, that in some of these areas, it's they there's people, bureaucrats, whoever we want to call them, that have actually begun floating the trial balloon of maybe the grizzly country's just too dangerous for the general public, and you can only go into grizzly habitat with a guide. Yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> Man, yeah. that's horrible. How, how do you think that's going to rest with the general public? And I'm afraid what you're talking about, Aaron, is that could be where the next level of some of this goes. Yeah, yeah. Instead of common sense, they're just going to restrict everybody from going there. Uh, it's ridiculous, and the fight is just starting, too. Like, this is just one ballot in Colorado, but even if we win this, it's going to be two years down the road, they're going to put another ballot up. An another politician's going to going to introduce something. Else. They're going to find a way around it. Like, the fight's just starting in, in all these states, and, and Colorado's just on the forefront right now. Well, you know, and the, what the saddest, one of the saddest parts to me is is when I research this stuff and I trace the the groups that push this and I trace the financing and the money that pushes all this, almost none of it's in Colorado. It's coming from California, Washington D.C., and in some cases internationally, places like China, Europe, on and on. It's not Colorado necessarily that's pushing this. The voters are being used as the useful idiots to get this through. Yeah, that's true, too. Um, gosh, there, dang it. Recently, a giant uh, blinking light for me. I um, I, I went uh, – we, we did a podcast, and I'll get to the point shortly, on testosterone replacement therapy, right? I went to a clinic to get tested from head injuries, and they're all fitness people and all level-headed. And I, from the podcast I did with them, a gaggle of hunters – have come in there, right, to, to, to test their testosterone, which has made many questions arise in their mind about hunting. Um, and they're all pro bear, right? So they all follow me on Instagram. And recently I posted, I don't know, how many, some of the bears I've shot in the last four or five years. And I come back in and say hello, and they start talking how cute and cuddly they are. And I, I'm like, um kind of like, you know, assessing the situation of why somebody might buy a, a Kefaro or a Stone Glacier or an Eberly stock pack. Okay, why did you buy that one? So I'm like, hey, what makes you think they're cute and cuddly? Oh, they're just so fuzzy and they're nice. And I'm like, have you ever Googled, um, you know, like the number one killer of calf elk? Or I said, do you realize a, a, a mature boar, black bear, or grizzly will eat the cubs so they can breed again so that the female goes back into cycle or estrus. And they literally were like, that's, that's not true. And I'm like, oh, no, I've seen it happen. They eat the cubs so the sow will breed again because once those cubs are dead, she'll go back into cycle. Well, without being 
And it's kind of like putting your best foot forward without being a total dick. I'm like, hey, let me let me just break all this down to you. Let me explain to you the circle of life, not the Coca-Cola polar bear, you know, drinking, uh, you know, and how fuzzy he is. Let me explain to you how the world actually works. You know, mountain lions, they saw that as well. What they didn't understand is like the mountain lion. And, and I think they eat about two and a half deer, uh, a mature per month. Um, I think that's correct. Uh, do you guys, is that a sound about right for mountain lions? Yep. I heard one a week, but yeah, you're close there, two and a half a month. Yeah, and then, you know, you look at it, okay, a lot of mountain lions you'll see as far as, um, you know, pups or or kids or whatever, babies, you know, they're packing around one, two, three uh, little babies with them. Wolves, you look at a pack of wolves, you got three, six, nine, twelve, however many are in a pack. Um, You start doing the math, it doesn't take too many fingers and toes to realize how much that's crushing the deer. So I bring up, well, how much do you like deer? Oh, they're cute too. And I'm like, well, these little fuckers eat those deer. So wouldn't you say they might be bad? You know, like aren't, wouldn't you think that they might, you wouldn't, you look at them as potentially like also in their minds, like bad animals, I guess, trying to, to, to make it make sense to them. Well, they were so benign or just totally, I mean, blind to how the circle of life works I think it's our job to explain that to them. So if this shit does come to a vote, even if it's dumb knuckle dragger air and they stop and think and they're like, oh, man, all those bears eating cubs and calf elk to where they might vote because it's going to get the vote goes to everyone. It doesn't go to hunters that they'll at least think twice about how they vote. And so really, I mean, it's about impossible, but educating people is more important now than it ever has been. And I am amazed at how blind people are to how I'd say the circle of life, but how the circle of life works, especially with predators. But they're fairly receptive, right, Aaron? When you sit down and explain it to them, they get it. You know, they've just been fed all this misinformation over the years where they don't understand how the ecosystem works or how bears work or how bears feed themselves. So you're, you're right. Like the, they're receptive to it when you get talking to them and you explain it to them, then they get it. And then, and then when it does come to a vote, they're more educated. So I do think that's the key. The, the other key. I, I thought it was so great when um, there in uh, Utah, Utah that uh, Chavez um, was trying to introduce that bill to sell off the public lands and just the backlash that guy got that dang near ruined his political career for trying to, to introduce this bill to sell off our public lands. It needs to be the same way for this guy that's introducing these wolves. You know, we need to like it's that's the one thing social media is good for is I saw that Chavez's account and he had thousands and thousands of comments uh, uh, of hunters and, and people that enjoy public land that were writing on a social media. He couldn't even get on there anymore. And so, you know, the, these idiots that are bringing these up to a ballot or to a vote or trying to be sneaky and get it approved for wolves in there on the federal level, like they need to feel some back too you know and and hear our voice as conservationists yeah i mean one of the other things too that i try to help people understand that uh you know obviously that meat doesn't grow on trees as far as just because you bought it and it's wrapped in cellophane you know you you killed it with your checkbook um you know things like that but not only just that how many people and they people never think about this if we go you know, you and, and Guy and I go out on a mule deer hunt and we shoot two mule deer and those mule deer, we don't take the neck meat and we leave a rear quarter. 
that's wanton waste, right? That's that's penalty. That's a penalty. You can get your hunting license taken. There's a fine. Okay, how many rich people eat a steak that doesn't taste right and leave that fucker sitting on the plate and kick it back like it was – don't even blink an eye? Well, that animal was alive too at one time, but since everything is so um, – they're so de- – not desensitized, but they're so blind to how – where that meat actually came from, it's totally okay to buy cow or beef and, oh, it's too rare and kick it back and have it thrown away. But, oh, my God, you kill a deer and eat it, you're the devil. But you can kick back your prime rib because it tastes like cat crap and throw it away. Bringing things to light to, – to, bringing things like that to light to people to where they really understand a guy that goes in, backpacks, which we all do, brings back all the meat, eats all the meat, um, you know, live, eats pretty much all organic meat or wild game. Compare that to how their lifestyle is. How many cheeseburgers did you eat this year and only ate half of it and threw it away? How many times did you get – whatever type of steak and kick it back that animal was alive it had a life but that's okay to not to just shit on that animal's life and not eat that meal and and bringing things like that up i have found people are extremely receptive and feel almost bad about their views 10 minutes before the conversation we actually had oh that's great it makes it relatable you know you you tie it back to them to where they're involved in the circle of life and you you say you know you're not immune to it you may pass judgment on me and what i do but but let's look at how you're living your life and how you're getting your meat 98% of the population or 97% of the population eats meat like let's see how you're handling your end of things before we dissect what i'm doing well, I mean, another thing off a guy that was sending me death threats from the, the cat hunt, he, he point, no kidding said, I said, man, I see you're eating fish and you fish. And he said, well, they're lesser species. Um, you know, chicken and fish are lesser species. It's okay to kill them. And I said, so in your mind, if it's a human that's special needs, it's okay if they just die? <laughs> and immediately the conversation, the tune changed. And I mean, as harsh as that sounds, I'm like, you basically you're saying that anyone that's less than perfect or a higher species should just is OK to, to die. And you I mean, immediate. I mean, believe it or not, I converted this guy and he sent me a death threat. Um, you know, another um, you know example. And I'm only talking about this so people understand uh, a guy more or less got on there and said I was a, a you know, whatever, a pussy or a coward for shooting a mountain lion. And as luck would have it, he actually lived down the road from Kafaru. And I said, hey, man, come on over to the shop. Let's talk in person. Um, you know, he's like, oh, is that a threat? And I'm like, no, it's not a threat. I actually want to talk to you. I couldn't get him to get on the podcast. Um, I wanted to talk to him on the podcast because of his perception. He was from California originally. His perception of hunting and how it worked was we just shoot the animals, cut their heads off and bring them back. And as far as predator hunting, you're out there and do no good at all as far as conservation goes or for other animals. And I'm like, do you realize how many animals mountain lions eat? They're not vegetarians. Well, coming from California, he just thought they're fuzzy little animals that don't eat it, that don't eat ungulates. And so being able to explain that to him and doing it in a, a, a you know, a relatively diplomatic way is, is huge. I mean, I don't know how much of a difference I'm making, but I, I'm doing my best. Because otherwise, we are going to be in deep shit. <laughs> That's so great. Um, 
Yeah, I I think you're right. We have to take that opportunity every time we get the chance to try to explain it. And people love to to judge and pass blame, but they don't really like to understand it all. <laughs> they they don't want to understand the situation, or they don't want to look at themselves, you know, or or what they're doing, or how they can be a better human being. They just want to pass judgment on everybody else. But yeah, I th- I think that's great, Aaron. Every time you get the chance, you're explaining it to somebody, and um, you know, I do the same, and I think everybody out there should do the same. And and le- you have to look into it and think about it and kind of form, you know, form your opinions in the way. The way you present it to them, too, to where it isn't an argument of a back and forth or a screaming match. It's finding this way to intelligently, you know, represent hunters or represent yourself or represent what you're doing and standing behind it and being able to explain it to them where they can see your side of things. And, and they're not always going to agree and you're not going to convert every person, uh, but you're you're going to you're going to convert perception, you know, that way by by going about it that way. I. I think that's the the steps we need to take moving forward. Yeah, I, I I agree, and I mean the one thing that is astonishing enough, and it had very little to do with with my skill, and and a lot more to do with obviously dogs and, and bark. But in five days, I killed three cats, missed two coyotes, and killed a wolf. Three of those animals with a stick bow. You, there's no way that you can't present that story to anyone in their right mind, and them not think that there's a predator problem I, I mean four animals in five days and three of them with a stick bow i mean I, I i telling people that where they're like saying oh my god you know I, you know you're such an asshole because you killed these things and i'm like well think about what it took to do it it was relatively easy like obviously there's a problem and all of those animals eat a lot of other animals and trying to break it down to them and it <sighs> Yeah, you can have me all wound up. I won't sleep tonight. But yeah, trying to convince people to help make them understand is it can be difficult. But how much it's a problem here. How much of an issue, guy, where you're at, you probably don't run into these problems at all, do you? Not too much. Um, we're pretty lucky up there. Up here, it's pretty. This state's small in population, big in size, and it's pretty homogeneous in mindset. Now you go to Jackson, it's different, where I grew up, and you know, but. You know, we have the same problems, just to a smaller degree. I mean, the problem is the North American model of wildlife management is the most successful model ever unleashed on wildlife management. If you can go look it up and Google it, people who don't don't believe me or don't haven't heard about it, I mean, they've literally brought dozens, if not hundreds, of of animal, you know, different uh, animals species from the brink of extinction. In, in in the 1800s to what we have today, but the the Achilles heel of it is you got to take all of it. You can't just take pieces and parts of it. You can't say, oh, we like wildlife conservation, but we don't agree with the predator portion. You got to take the whole thing because everything has to be in balance. And humans are the most successful and efficient tool to do that. Like we talked, we're going kind of full circle here. You can't turn these predators off. They don't have an off switch, and to kill them is, you know, to kill them is very politically dangerous and very difficult physically to do in some of this country. And so that's kind of what we're, you know, what what the the story that needs to be told is in, in educating some of these people. They don't understand. They watch too much Disney movies. 
one of the things that keeps me awake at night is the internet and in particular social media could eventually take hunting down. Some of the stupid things I see on the internet and social media do not do us any favors. No, you're 100% correct. And I, I mean, when you talk about like social media, there is good things that come out of social media, um, but there is a lot of bad. And there's certain things that happen on social media that um, that I, I hate to bring some of these things up, but uh, a, a relatively known person shoots a deer and leaves it overnight to take better photos the next day. That does not put a good, that is, in my opinion, things like that are, are bad. Uh, it, it looks bad for hunters because you're not worried about the animal. You're worried about likes. You're worried about follows or whatever the hell it is. And there's many other examples like that, as well as just dumb redneck shit that people post on social media and where that stuff may have happened before. It's not in the public's eye in a worldwide level where you can just pop on and see it. There's a lot of good things that come out of social media as well. But um, there definitely needs to be a dumbass filter on social media where you can pull a guy's, you know, Instagram card immediately if he's, a, you know, not serving hunting in the way he should be or she is. Boy, it's so true. Um, yeah, they the lowest common denominator. They just um, they don't represent hunting well, and there's a lot of them out there. And there's a lot of people that represent hunting well and that are have a really good voice for hunting. But that that negative people are drawn to that more than the positive. It seems like you know, like uh, it it just stands out. And then you know, through the internet or through social media, there's even more attention put on it when they do something negative. And so yeah, it it gives us a negative perception with with the the public that are going to be voting to to keep our ecosystems intact well and i'm all about fitness but i don't think the having a deer strung over your back with your shirt off and six-pack abs is the best portrayal of hunting um in fact i want to smack the shit out of people that do that if you had a, a private account it's it's one thing and i'm not saying this specifically i'm just saying people think but and i'm not perfect either but think before you do or before you act now will that your buddies look at it and think that's cool possibly will you know whatever show off your you know six pack abs that's great but think about the person that's look at it that's not a hunter are they going to look at it and say wow that dude's a badass they're going to be like look at this neanderthal carrying this deer out over his back with the shirt off you know and there's certain times and places and i understand that and i by by no means am i perfect but since I am not perfect and I am somewhat of a redneck, I try to think six steps ahead before I do anything anymore. Not because I'm worried that guy's going to make fun of me next week, because I'm worried I'm going to get punting taken away from me. And then what the fuck am I going to do? My whole life revolves around it. So I try to really think ahead before I post anything. And I encourage other people to do the same. Yeah, I, I think that's the move. Um, going forward, you know, to really think about our portrayal of hunting and, um, you know, each and every one of us, you know, because, uh, uh, one negative post does us so much damage as hunters and, and, and takes away our voice and, and may take away from somebody really listening to us and wanting to understand hunting. You know, they see some of that, that negative stuff on there and all of a sudden they get a perception about hunters and, and they don't want to talk to Aaron at, at Kafaru Cast or they don't, they don't want to talk to you at the fitness place. They've already made up their mind who you are and what you stand for, you know? So yeah, I think you're right. I think we, we all need to do, 
the best job we can moving forward to portray hunting in a positive light and and I, I like what you said, thinking six steps ahead, because it always it isn't isn't always the next step. It, it steps down the line, you know. And so, yeah, we need to think about that. We're we're just we're not just uh, showing this to other hunters. You know, the the world is seeing it and and forming you know their ideas about who we are. Yep. Well, guys, um, I think we covered it. You guys got any closing thoughts for Colorado and the wolf problem that we're facing? Uh, man, I just encourage people to put their best foot forward. Like I said, think several steps ahead and uh, don't be afraid to write your congressman and let them know um, what your feelings are on this, as well as just basically search it and find who you should contact uh, and let them know your feelings on it. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. So uh, the more you can do, the better. Yep, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Guy, you got any closing thoughts from Wyoming? I agree. I go to the meetings, if, especially if you're a resident. I've, you know, talked to a lot of game and fish guys up here, and, and they'll tell you that, you know, some, there's a perfect example where they don't really want this. It's being rammed down their throat, but they'll tell you they feel kind of alone at some of these meetings because the public, the hunting, outdoor hunting and fishing public, doesn't show up to the meetings and help support them in it. It gets deluged by all these paid protesters and wing nuts and it, then you end up losing the whole thing so it, it's important even if you just go sit there to represent for your local area because they take a lot of uh a lot of credit for for what the residents think because it's a, the state of colorado you know i can go down there from wyoming but they don't really view me as the same as they would a resident sitting there yep um Gosh, I couldn't agree more, guys. I think it's great advice moving forward. Um, I'm going to do my part and do some research and uh, uh, try to put on some some contact information on the intro or on the ending of this podcast, so you guys can contact your the the congressman that's behind it or whoever that wherever we can have our voice heard. I want to make sure that it's out there for everyone. So um, thanks a bunch, Aaron, for taking the time. Thanks, guys. I sure appreciate it, guys. Yep. Yep. Thanks for having me on. You guys take it easy. Yep. Talk to you later, man. All right, guys. Yeah, that's an episode. Um, gosh, a fun one. I uh, really enjoyed getting to know and getting to talk to Aaron Snyder. That guy's uh, he's a great podcaster, super entertaining, and um, really well informed on uh, on on wolves and um, just a, a well thought out stance on things and and well explained. So I really enjoyed that. I always enjoy having Guy Eastman on there. Um, the the guy is so knowledgeable about Western hunting and the Western hunting model and uh, does such a good jacks into the conversation. And, and he also has such a well-informed stance on things. And so I, I just really respect both of those guys and I really enjoyed the conversation. So hopefully we got some good information out to you guys and um, we need to continue to do our part to fight on this front. So we don't get wolves reintroduced in Colorado. That is, that still just sounds crazy to me. Um, but, but really good information to get out there. We just need to do our part. Uh, I want to thank the sponsors for today's show. Uh, Onyx Maps just changed the way I hunt and fish. They, they make such a great map uh, program with such great overlays. It's, it's, um, 
It's one of my favorite tools for for scouting and hunting. So thanks to Onyx for sponsoring the podcast. I also want to thank TechNew. So you guys can check out TechNew Original for Poison Oak, Poison Ivy, Skunk Smell, and Sap. It also works for that. But they just make a great product. And once you get into Poison Oak or Poison Ivy, do anything for it to have some TechNew Original around. So make sure you pick up a bottle, have it in your truck, in your medicine cabinet. Um, it'll pay dividends down the road. And with that, um, let's see uh, what we got going on at Eastman's. Oh, I saw that um, my new episode from Nevada came out. In fact, I just watched it this morning. Um, yeah, I'm so proud of the way that, that that episode came out and the footage they were able to use, teaming up with Logan Summers. He did a great job for me videoing and capturing the hunt. Um, it's on the outdoor channel, so we can't get it off the internet anywhere. So just got to be on the lookout for Eastman's Hunting TV on the outdoor channel. And uh, my DVR is an idiot. My DVR, for some reason, stopped recording Eastman's. I don't know what its problem is. And so I actually missed the episode, uh, but it'll come back around. They'll replay it, and it'll be on. But uh, make sure you check your DVR. I don't know what's going on with mine. It just, like, stopped recording all my hunting shows. Um, So I had to go back through and re-record them. But, um, yeah, you know me. I'm so technologically advanced, so um, for me to have a problem is real weird. (laughs) Uh, Sarcasm if you didn't get it. But, um, yeah, no, it's a great episode. Uh, Really proud of that one, how that came out. I just saw my Eastman showed up in the mailbox. Um, Working to get Sean Morgan on the podcast. I think he would make for a great recording. Uh, He's got the buck on the cover. Um, so we're working on that. Um, I got another young kid on the podcast uh, that we recorded an episode, and so that one was fun. He's in this episode, um, or in this issue, sorry, of Eastman's. Um, so yeah, some good stuff coming up. I uh, can't wait to see what tags I draw and see what hunts we're going to pick up and try to capture this year and, and just what hunts and adventures I'm going to go on. I just can't wait for season. So um been bear hunting a bunch. It's been really good. Um, gosh, I've, I have a couple stocks on mature boars. Uh, well, one stock that I made, the other one, I dropped all the elevation, went to go down, and my raft had a, a rip in the seam. I tried to pump it up for like 30 minutes, just sweat rolling down my brow, just trying to get it pumped up so I could get across there to to kill that thing. He was in the perfect spot. I couldn't get my raft blown up. I didn't have a patch kit. It's just, it's a little pool raft. It's ridiculous. I got to get a better pack raft. But anyway, so dropped 2,000 feet of elevation just to not get my raft blown up and hike 2,000 feet up. And sure enough, I get up and I glass across and that big jet black boar is right in the same spot right in the perfect place with a good wind and there's just nothing I can do you know so uh, I had to go back up the hill but I uh, have been seeing some bears um, I passed on a medium chocolate medium jet black I uh, put the the Instagram story on Eastman's Elevated so you guys can check that out I think it's over now but I I saved it on there so you just go um, into Eastman's Elevated and save their uh uh, bow hunting for bears or something like that it's the latest story on there but um i really like doing those stories and kind of sharing the hunt and it doesn't take away from it too much so i'm going to try to do more and more of those and and um release them out to you guys it's such, just such a a great way to share the hunt and share what i've got going on so yeah the the bear hunt has been good i'm going to keep after him here the grass is just starting to green up and they're going to start coming out of everywhere um, so yeah, I'm pumped. Gonna try to kill a, a nice boar with my bow. Um, just fun to be out too. Gosh, it's a fun time of year seeing elk and deer and moose. And, um, 
so yeah, no, it, it um, it, it's really cool. Hopefully, I can I can get one found and knock down those those two the other day were right on the line. They were just good mediums, you know. I you got to get inside about a thousand yards to to really look and feel judge a bear, look at his head and things. And I just got in and. It was tough. I think they were over five foot, but they just weren't quite like that 17, 18 inch pumpkin head that I'm looking for. And, and, um, you know, so far I think I, I've harvested quite a few bears, but they've all been nice boars with nice heads on them. And, and, um, so I, I just, I know what I'm looking for and I know when I see a good bear, there'll be no doubt in my mind. I, you know, I'll get there and, and try to make something happen. But these two were, were just on the line and I had to let them walk decided to let them walk but they're just a fun animal to spot and see and watch anyways so um but yeah really cool there's some fun things to do out this spring make sure you're getting out and enjoying them thanks as always for all the support on the um on the instagram and the the facebook and and um uh, support on the podcast downloading the episodes that's a huge deal. Just keeps this podcast rolling. So I really appreciate all the support, you guys. Um, that's it. I'll check in with you guys next week.